0: The latest poll from Suffolk University and USA Today shows that in head-to-head matchups, Donald Trump beats basically every single 2020 Democrat. Now, this news is a bit shocking because for the longest time, the polls have showed us that Trump loses to every single Democrat in head-to-head matchups. What could have possibly happened to have shifted this so dramatically? Well, many of you are probably looking at the screen and you've probably seen seen the thumbnail, so you know, impeachment. You see, it was only about a week or so ago we saw this story. Impeachment is helping Trump in three key battleground states. The Democrats were enjoying a smooth polling advantage. They had Trump on the ropes. Now, uh, you know, there's Moody's analytics and there's other polls showing Trump is likely going to win for a lot of reasons. But in these hypothetical matchups, Trump was underwater. The, The last thing the Democrats needed was to lose at least the public face of their potential advantage. And they did because impeachment is boring. It's nonsensical, and moderates don't think it makes sense. Even Democrats have started turning. And now we can see from this poll back in, on the 9th that around the time, in September, they were enjoying a nice lead. And then once the Ukraine scandal impeachment hearings happened, they completely fell underwater. The impeachment stuff is it's it's, it's, it's a fundraising boon for Trump. It is making him more popular. His approval rating dipped a little bit, it recovered, and now— overwhelmingly, or I shouldn't say overwhelmingly, but majority of this country in the aggregate polling oppose impeachment. The Democrats just didn't know when to stop. Today, I want to take a look at what's happening with the latest polls, favorability, but also it seems the moderate Democrats are falling in line. Many of you may have been following the story about Jeff Van Drew, moderate Democrat, South Jersey, decided to become a Republican. At least they're reporting around six of his staff members have now resigned. They were threatening him with a primary. They say, if you don't tote the line, we will primary you, meaning you will not win because the Democrats overwhelmingly support impeachment. You will be out. He knew what he had to do. His only choice was to become a Republican because they wouldn't do that to him. He had a meeting with Trump and all likelihood said, you know, I, I imagine they were talking about whether or not Republicans would primary him and with Trump's support. He might just win. The rest of the moderate Democrats said no, Or at least so far, and many of them are coming out in favor of impeachment because they know Jeff Van Drew was to be made an example of. If you go against the party and side with your constituents, we will remove you through a primary process. It's 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 a shame and it's unfortunate because even in the face of a guaranteed defeat, they are playing this game, and the polls show it. Let's get started, and we'll 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 gloss over this one a little bit. But I want to get to the story from USA Today showing it uh, Today poll, impeached or not, Trump leads his Democratic rivals for another term. This, this is an amazing poll because it's one of the first we've seen. Before we get started, head over to TimCast.com slash donate if you would like to support my work. There's a PayPal option, a crypto option, a physical address, but the best thing you can do, just share this video. I know many people may disagree. It's hard to break echo chambers, but this could probably help, I guess. But at any, any rate, sharing the video, it really does help support the channel. So let's read. USA Today reports, President Donald Trump, the first modern president to face impeachment during his first term in the White House, now leads his top Democratic rivals in his bid for a second, a new USA Today Suffolk University poll finds. The national survey, taken as the House of Representatives planned an impeachment vote and the Senate Senate trial, showed Trump defeating former Vice President Joe Biden by three, Bernie Sanders by five, Elizabeth Warren by eight in hypothetical head-to-head contests. Trump also led South Bend, Indiana, Mayor Buttigieg by 10 points and Bloomberg by nine. Now, I want to stop here and show it in a more easy to digest format. This is a Twitter account, political polls showing the USA Today poll, which many people are kind of laughing. I mean, conservatives are laughing. Conservatives and the, and the political homeless liberals who are angry with the Democratic direction are laughing. You had the advantage. You you People wanted Trump. They wanted Trump impeached. The scandal, you know, the, the scandal popped up well, I should say the scandal, it's actually an interesting phenomenon. Before the scandal, most people didn't want Trump impeached. The scandal happened and it flipped. Now more people wanted him impeached. They could have just stopped. The Democrats could have stopped and said, you know what? This has gone on long enough. We're going to censure the president and give it to the American people to decide in the election. They didn't. They won't stop. They keep going. And now it's, 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 it's spiraling out of control. It's kind of like you have an annoying friend who keeps making annoying sound. And you're like, dude, it was the funny It was funny the first time. Stop doing it. Now it's getting annoying, right? So Democrats had this advantage and people were like, oh, well, you know, they got a point. And then they showed their hand. Like imagine the Democrats came out and said, here's what Trump did. And everyone went, whoa, really? Yes. And everyone was like, we should probably impeach him. And they said, but wait, now we're going to show you the cards we're holding. And everyone said, are you what? There's nothing there. you joking. Not only that, but Democrats, man, it's, it's just it's it's mind numbing when you watch these hearings and they all literally say the same thing over and over and over again. Now, I admit, when you watch my videos, you're probably getting a lot of the same over and over again. And I apologize for that. I really do mean it. How many times am I going to make a video about impeachment backfiring? It's really difficult. But I tell you this, if impeachment keeps backfiring, I'm going to keep talking about it. I don't know. I don't know what else to do. I mean, this is, you know, I'm, I'm trying to cover the biggest stories that we're facing This cycle is one of the biggest stories, and it's going to have a huge impact. Will Trump win? Will he lose? And this is the news we get. The Democrats, instead of campaigning, are just pushing nonsense, and people don't want to hear it. But let's let's, let's go back to what, uh, so you can see here, Trump uh, three points above Biden, five above Sanders, eight above Warren, nine above Bloomberg, 10 above, um, above Buttigieg. Let's go back. They say, polls taken nearly a year before an election are hardly a reliable indicator about what the eventual outcome will be. And that's absolutely true, especially when the other nominee hasn't been chosen. But the findings do indicate that impeachment hearings detailing what critics see as Trump's violation of the Constitution and his oath of office haven't undermined his core political support. No, the opposite. It's built his support. The New York Times, they have a column called the Upshot's data. And they said Trump's base is bigger. His favorability is up. His approval rating is up. It's all working in his favor. Donald Trump is raising money off of this. Take a look at this. I've highlighted this now for the past several days, but we have new polls. We have CNN showing, of all the polls, CNN showing that most people in this country do not want Trump impeached. That surprised me the most. I'm like, wow, CNN. We can see Quinnipiac, ABC News, Washington Post, NPR, it's funny. The last poll in the aggregate to show support for impeachment above 50% was Fox News. Fox News. This is <laughs> the last poll to do it. So we're looking at the aggregate. We can see it's either a tie, but it's overwhelmingly shifting towards no. Here's what's fascinating. The aggregate is still using data going back a couple weeks ago, but all of the polls from the 10th to the 15th show a major swing in favor of Trump. I'm talking a spread of like six percentage points three, five, six, and three. Some of them are ties. That's fair too. But this means not only is it flipped for Trump, it's flipped a lot in the aggregate. Right now it's 0.7 in opposition to impeachment. But you got CNN saying three points in favor of Trump. That's big. Trump campaign says impeachment vote was a fundraising boon. Bravo Democrats. This is exactly what Trump needed. I, I, I mean this. Trump was underwater in head-to-head matchups. Trump, well, he was raising a lot of money. But in terms of polling, Trump needed something to push him over that edge. The Democrats said, don't worry, Trump, we got your back. And they decided to host it, hold an impeachment. I'm kidding, by the way. And Trump raised a ton of money. Trump is now above board. They're underwater. It's, it's, it's mind-numbing to me that I can sit here day after day explaining exactly why this will backfire, why it's a bad idea, and then it all comes true. Wow. You know, Democrats, if you want a a, a political strategist, you don't even got to hire me. You can just watch my videos. You'd be doing a lot better. You would seriously be doing a lot better. Because I'll tell you this, even if I'm not giving the right kind of advice to help them win, when I said, hey, it's a bad idea, don't push impeachment, if they just said, okay, we won't, they wouldn't, this wouldn't have happened. But I must admit, Trump's shift in the polls isn't just about impeachment. It's, it's It's a big factor. But let's be real. USMCA, China trade deal, roaring economy, all of these good things are playing a role. Now we see this. This, again, I mean, the news just, I think Trump is becoming, you know, it's weird. They say Trump is deeply unpopular. His favorability among most polls shows him underwater. Yet for some reason, we're seeing so much support for him. We're seeing all the polls start shifting. Maybe Trump is, you know, Trump's big problem is he's got a potty mouth. I mean, I get it. It's not the biggest deal in the world, but he'd probably be one of the most popular presidents if he didn't. Check out this this story from the Washington Examiner just the other day. Black voter support for Trump at highest levels and could seal a 2020 win. They say that both Emerson and Rasmussen have Trump at 34% approval among black voters. That's huge because he had 8% last time. I mean, if the Democrats can't even convince the black community to support the Democrats, I think they're in trouble. But I think what we're seeing, too, is the emergence of high-profile personalities who push an individualist narrative. Kanye West, Candace Owens, they're telling people to think for yourselves. Don't vote on party lines. I can respect that. And I think that's providing Trump with a strong base of support. People in the black community who say, you know, they think they, they're going to choose for themselves who they want, regardless of politics or party or whatever. And I think that's playing a big role. I do think a lot of people do not, you know, the black community don't like Trump, but I will always say as somebody who's not a part of that community, I, I, I defer to them. You know, So take it up with you know Candace Owens, Kanye West, and they do bring up another individual who challenges this. They say, critics don't buy it. Democratic and Barack Obama pollster Cornell Belcher is one. He rejected the reasoning that black support is growing and suggested that the polls are wrong. Those reasons would assume that it's real, which it isn't. To have a conversation about the reason is giving it credibility. I'm not going to badmouth anyone's polling here but particularly with small subsamplers, you get blips. When you look across the data and even look back to see what the trend is, it's pretty apparent that numbers like that are outliers. Are they? But there are three polls. And according to 538, Emerson is the second most accurate poll of all the political polls. I, I I showed this when the story broke. 538 says, here's a list of pollsters based on how accurate they have been. Emerson was number two. If Emerson is saying this is the case, at least for now, that's where I defer. And I'll tell you this, if somehow Donald Trump has pulled ahead of every Democratic candidate, I think it's fair to believe he's seeing stunning levels of support from the black and Latino community. How else would Trump be gaining so much support? Would he be winning over progressive leftists? I don't think so. He's definitely winning over like, you know, blue dog Democrats and like union Democrats. That's for sure. That's what we see in like Jersey, which is a blue state, but has these working class areas that vote red. And you can see it in places like Minnesota, places that are Democrat at the local level or even for Congress, but support Trump as the, at, at the executive level, because what are the Democrats offering? But so let's, let's, let's move on now to the Democrats deciding to just end their careers. As impeachment vote nears, swing district Dems fall in line. Ah, it's a sad, sad story. But you know what? They knew what would happen. They knew that if they didn't do this, the Democrats would find someone primary them and because they're driven strictly by the orange man bad narrative, a primary against somebody who votes against impeachment is easy. I'll tell you what. As far as I can tell from here, the Democrats are saying, "Lose your reelection, or we will primary you and put someone else in to lose their re- to, to lose the election." It makes no sense. Fox News reports, with just hours to go until the House Rules Committee meets at 11 a.m., they're 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 already meeting for a marathon session to set the ground rules for this week's final impeachment vote. Many of the moderate Democrats in districts Trump won in 2016 have started to fall in line. Other than Van Drew, who has mold switching to the Republican Party, and Minnesota Rep Colin Peterson, no other Democrat occupying one of 31 House districts that that Trump won has announced opposition to impeachment. All Republicans in Congress and the Senate have opposed impeachment. At the same time, New York Rep Max Rose, whose district backed Trump by 10 points in 2016, and who has long campaigned on bipartisanship, announced Friday, he would be supporting impeachment. Now, there are many others who are doing this as well. And here's what's fascinating to me. The polls are showing impeachment is failing. The majority of the nation, even, look, look, you know what, man? I'm sorry. I I got to do this. Look at this. CNN, CNN poll (laughs) should be impeached and removed from office 45. Don't feel that way. 47, no opinion. Nine. CNN is telling you Democrats, stop. Majority of this country doesn't want this. But I will I tell you this, I understand they're basing off of their district, not the country. OK, so these these Democrats that are, are, are uh, representing these Trump districts have to choose based on their constituency, not the majority of the country. But that still leaves me with this strange st- we're in the strange world where somebody could be in a R plus 10 district and be like, I'm going to oppose Trump. That's the weirdest thing I've ever seen moderates don't care about this, like in terms of what, what they deal with on, the day to, on their day-to-day basis, but they're souring on it because you're not doing anything for them. As they mentioned, Max Rose campaigned on bipartisanship. He said he would oppose hyperpartisan, you know, narratives. And many of the Democrats said, we're going to get the job done and we're going to ignore this stuff. And they turned around and they said, nah, we're going to impeach him anyway. And you know, what, you know what I think they're doing? I think the Democratic Party is forcing these moderates out of office inadvertently. But the idea is, if all of the moderates in Trump's districts come out and say Trump did do this and he must be no matter what, they're hoping that might actually convince some middle of the road voters to be like, wow, maybe Trump really did do it and then vote for them. But I don't think so because impeachment hasn't changed anybody's mind for the most part. People are already tribal. There's very few independent voters who haven't already chosen a side. I think this is just the end of their political careers. The Democrats know that. They need to send a strong message. It's the only thing they got. It is a Hail Mary. It is awful. So they're throwing it. Before I go into, this is a uh, rep, Mickey Sherrill, who's saying my military service taught me to put country before politics. Oh, please. You know, if it was about country, you'd be opposed to this because the majority of the country, even according to CNN is saying nobody, they're not, the majority opposes this. So it's not about country. It's about politics. It's about your politics. You're going to lose and you're sacrificing it all for a political nonsense. I want to show you something funny. Before I do, though, um, I want want to highlight this. Jeff Van Drew, they say a target smart poll conducted early this month of likely primary voters showed 60% of people surveyed that said that someone new should be elected, while 24% said that Van Drew deserves to be reelected. Those are Democratic voters. That's the primary voters. Van Drew knew he'd be out. He is the warning, the canary in the coal mine to the moderates. Either you, you know, no matter what, you're out. Van Drew is saying, no, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to represent my district. And that means switching to Republican. He might win re-election. These other Democrats are saying, oh, well, I guess I lose because the Democrats in my district don't care. And the primary isn't about what the district wants. It's about what the base wants. So they are sacrificing the will of their constituency in favor of just towing the party line on the way out. Let me show you something funny. Here's Trump's favorability. Would you look at that? 42.2. It's higher than when he got elected. Um, actually it might be, a it, it, yeah, I think it might be a little lower, but it's higher than like his, his, oh no, I'm sorry. It is a little bit lower, but you can see Trump's favorability went way high around the time he was elected. It fell down a little bit, but it's up. It is up. It's not as high as it's ever been, but it's up. That's Trump's favorability. 42.2. Let's, uh, let's take a look at, uh, uh, Nancy Pelosi, 37.7. Nancy Pelosi is less favorable than Trump. How about that there, uh, Mitch McConnell, 26 the least favorable of, of, the, uh, of the leaders in, con- uh, in, in Congress. And then we have Chuck Schumer, 27. Now, I'm no Mitch McConnell fan, but we can see. When Trump's favorability is higher than Pelosi's, you're playing a dangerous game. You're playing with fire, man, because I'll tell you what, the average voter, the average person polled is saying, I don't like Pelosi. Then Pelosi says, I'm going to do these things. And we've got a record stock market. We've got Trump's increasing favorability is expanding base. We've, we've got the economy doing really, really well. Nancy Pelosi has nothing to show for anything. She's done nothing. She's apparently talking about, you know, th- look, the Democrats wanted to impeach Trump for years, for, for se- se- several years. They voted several times. They finally got something. They think, well, actually, no they're pretending they have something. You think Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi are more favorable than Trump? I'm sorry. They're not. So think about this. Go to the average person. Who do you like better? Donald Trump, Nancy Pelosi, or Chuck Schumer. They're more likely to say Donald Trump. So when you put Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer on TV next to each other, like that American Gothic painting, people are like, I don't like that. I don't like these people. And then you look at Trump and they're like, nah, don't like him. that." But you know, he's better than they are. And that's where we're at. We are now in this weird, twisted reality where I can't tell you why, but I can tell you this. The signs all point to an impeachment failure. Unless there's some secret plan Democrats have as to why they're doing this, maybe they're all secretly Republicans and they're all big fans of Trump. Maybe they're sitting there being like, Trump. Ne- if Trump's going to get reelected, he needs a good villain. So they're all going to pretend to be it. Obviously, I'm joking. But I can't imagine why else they would be doing this. They're failing at every turn. Now, of course, their allies in media will say things like, a bombshell, bombshell, bombshell. And then nothing happens. Every day, a bombshell. I'll tell you this. The Horowitz report comes out. We learn about how the FISA, about the FISA abuse and all the lies. And the media was spewing lies for years and they're still doing it. What a, what a, what a ridiculous place. Well, you know what, man? They can't they can't self-reflect. They can't do it. They're 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 unable to self-criticize. They're 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 sailing their ship straight towards that waterfall. And meanwhile, other people, people like me who used to be on that ship are saying, turn around. You're going too far. You're going to go over the edge. And they're like, bigot, bigot. You're far right. I'm like, okay, bye, guys. And then the ship goes off the waterfall and then they're shocked and confused. And that's exactly what happened in the UK. How could it have happened that Boris Johnson and the conservatives got a majority so big? It was a devastating loss for labor they'd not seen since 1935. It's because the ship is sailing too far. People like me have jumped off a long time ago. And no matter how many times I say, don't do this, please stop. They just keep doing it. They just they just want to keep going. Stocks rise for a fourth straight day, hit record highs. How are you going to show this to somebody and then say, oh, and by the way, impeach the president? I'll tell you what. I love when a lot of lefties say stocks are meaningless for the average American. No, they're not. They're retirement accounts. Okay, they're they're pensions. These people don't understand how how any of this stuff works. I don't own any stocks. Uh, do you have your money in like a four hundred one k or uh, you know? I mean, are you saving at all? Now a lot of people don't have savings. That I agree with. That I understand. The point is, there are a lot of people who are making money when the market does well. You know, it, it, it's it's not necessarily interconnected in a lot of ways, but there there is you know, it's what's 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 good for the goose is good for the gander. You know, rising tide raises all ships. And now we can see the economy is is just it's just soaring. It really is. You know, they tried saying, oh, inverted yield curve. Oh, the recession's coming. Oh, what are we going to do? It never happened. It literally never happened. So I, I, I don't know what to tell you, man. It seems like anybody who's paying attention and actually like writing down a plan, how do we win come 2020? Those people have been kicked off the boat a long time ago. And it's now being led by the craziest people who like believe superstitious, weird nonsense. And they're like looking at the astrology is like, well, the Pisces is in, you know, the fourth quadrant, therefore turn left. And the people who are like, please stop are gone, are gone. I mean, I'm sitting right here. Where'd they go? It's funny to me. I'll tell you what's really funny. The people who tell me they're centrists, most people who like message me was like, oh, I'm a centrist. And I'm like, yeah, right. You know, I get it. We all are. But the reality is many of these people aren't. They're liberals. They're like a liberal 10 years ago. And then they went nuts. It's not even about politics at this point, man. Like I get it, policy-wise. I've made several videos talking about you know pro-choice, progressive taxes, things like that. Um, It's not even about that. It's about the fact that the Democrats are doing weird things. Like it's listen, impeachment isn't a policy. Impeachment isn't getting the job done. Impeachment isn't isn't, isn't making schools cheaper. It's not making schools better. It's not making drug prices go down. It's not improving hospitals. It's not securing our borders. Impeachment is just a cry fest. That's all it is. Every day I see the Democrats just crying on the floor and I'm saying, would you mind getting up and sweeping the floor? I hired you to imagine if you hired someone to clean your house and they up and started crying and you're like, why are you crying? And they just keep crying and you're like, Are you going to, are you going to do, are you going to do anything? Are you going to get out? That's it. Now they're underwater. But it would be, it would not be fair of me. I do want to make sure I highlight one important thing. USA Today, the day before the USA Today, uh, their their own poll, they said Fox News shows that Trump is trailing all Democrats. Now, I I always want to make sure that I I can clarify, and, and I'm showing you this for a reason. The point I wanted to make with the USA Today poll was to show that now we are seeing polls flip. Not that every poll has flipped. I know a lot of people are going to be like, Tim's lying, he's cherry-picked one poll. No, no, no. My point was, okay, for all of the polls we saw show Trump Trump underwater, even Fox News, something started happening recently where polls are now starting to flip. It's not a guarantee. It could be an outlier. But But as we've seen from USA Today and Axios, they both cite impeachment. I want to make sure you realize that even Fox News is saying Trump is underwater. But this was a day before the Suffolk University USA Today. And I got to admit, no offense, Fox News, but I'll trust Suffolk University over Fox News. I don't know why Fox News keeps putting Trump underwater, but they do. That's just reality. But I'll tell you what's the big, the big deal. Even CNN says most of this country does not want Trump impeached. So that's all I can say. I'll leave it there. Stick around. Next segment's coming up at 6 p.m. YouTube.com slash TimCast. Thank you for hanging out and I will see you all next time. A leftist California law has officially nuked leftist journalism from orbit. Vox Media to cut hundreds of freelance jobs ahead of changes in California gig economy laws. Ah, it was a bill called, it's Assembly Bill Number 5, and it limited the amount of work someone could do as a freelancer. It was pushed for by labor unions, and it effectively means all of these freelance writers, which is the overwhelming majority of of people who write, at least it's my understanding, having worked for these companies, You're gone if you're in California. But you want to know why this is so bittersweet? You want to know why conservatives are going to be doing a jig and dancing around and laughing in glee with schadenfreude all about? Here's what Vox wrote in September. Gig workers win in California is a victory for workers everywhere. Is it really? What about the hundreds you just terminated who can't stop crying? And I'll get to that in a second. Yes, they're crying. AB 5's passage which Governor Gavin Newsom is, is expected to sign, he did, could easily be seen as just another progressive victory. Is a progressive victory terminating hundreds or thousands of jobs? This is just Vox. Think about every company, Vice, BuzzFeed. They got to get rid of all of their freelancers. It's not going to be hundreds of jobs. It's going to be thousands of media jobs gone overnight. That's a progressive victory. Well, if you ask Ocasio-Cortez, it absolutely is, because over in New York, she cost that her city and state, 25,000 jobs, potentially 40, according to um, uh, Governor Cuomo. I believe he said it was twenty five to 40,000 over 10 years. She tries to downplay it. No, no, they're coming back. They're bringing back 1,800 jobs. You see, this is the problem with what I refer to as, it, it, it's, it's called the Chinese finger trap problem. That's what I call it. Because what you, you, you understand how the, the concept of a Chinese finger trap works. Your fingers are stuck, so you try and pull as hard as you can, and it makes it worse. You have to do something slightly counterintuitive to your first presumptions in order to actually escape. What we end up seeing are these leftists saying, hey, p- companies aren't paying their employ- employees enough and they keep hiring free- freelancers. Got an idea. Let's make it so they can't hire freelancers more than 35 times per year. That way they'll be forced to hire the freelancers, right? It all makes sense. This is a progressive victory, they say. In reality, it's very different. In reality, they say, well, we can't hire all these people. Just fire all these people. We'll save money and we'll figure it out somewhere else. Or better yet, they're going to hire freelancers in different states. So bravo. Bravo. Now, I want to read the CNBC story. But first, I want to provide some sympathy and empathy to the writers who had nothing to do with this, who have been negatively impacted. This is a tweet from a woman named Andy Loveall. I believe the site pronounced her name. That's what it says only a few thousand followers. She's an author and a writer. And she wrote just lost my ability to earn a living because of California assembly bill. Number five, my freelance brokerage company says they have to let California authors go almost a decade of hard work gone in an instant. I can't stop crying right before Christmas, man. I'm, I'm sorry that happened to you, Andy. I, I really, I really do mean that I empathize you know, uh, for the past, there, there was, I, I missed three days. The first time in three years, I produced content every single day. I have increased my workload every step of the way. And I lost my voice. I couldn't work. And I tell you what, man, it was torture. Sitting around not being able to do anything was a nightmare for me, nightmarish. And I can only imagine for people in California who every day wake up saying, what can I write about? What can I talk about now being told their jobs are being terminated because of some you know, pro-union law that makes it so they can't hire freelancers? That's to me, that's unacceptable. It, 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 it's, it's crazy to me. You have completely legal content, completely acceptable content, and they're telling you you're not allowed to sell your labor. That to me is nuts, but that's socialism. Under socialism, you don't choose where your labor goes. They regulate that stuff. I know because I've seen it now. They'll argue that's not real socialism. Just stop. Just stop. Not real socialism. Don't care. Matthew Keyes says, what type of content did you write? Andy said, a variety of ghost writing, text broker, blogs, articles, travel stuff, landing pages. This is not some woke rage bait author. This is just a freelance writer who does travel articles, landing pages, ghost writing. There are people who do translations gone. How insane. And this is why, you know, when you get leadership that says, I'm just going to take the quickest, the path of least resistance, whatever you say, I'm not going to sit and think about it. This is what you get. This is what you get. You get people like Andy just before Christmas losing their jobs. That to me is, is, is absurd and it's wrong. Now, of course, Andy could leave California, but how, how insane is that? First, you got to realize freelance writers don't make all that money. They they, they don't make a ton of money. Okay. And so it's funny when I hear people, I've, I've talked to people at the electoral college and I'm like, you understand that when you have a system where the majority can oppress the minority, you end up with conflict and chaos, right? A good example is how there are certain parts of California that during the drought had their surface water voted away from them, okay? The, the big cities voted and they took it. And I'm like, that's why you need protections for the mi- minority. That's why we have a republic and a direct democracy. Otherwise, you end up being oppressed. And people always said to me, well, they can just move. I'm like, no, they can't. You can't just leave your home When the, when, when, when the state says, you know what, more people in that city have voted to take away your resources. What are you going to do? You got no resources, abandon your home, get in your car. Yeah. You might die without water. So now you have people like Andy, the rug was pulled out from underneath them. Many people didn't even see this coming. Now, of course, what we're seeing from Vox, I got to say, I have a little bit less sympathy for, but actually I take that back. Vox is a major corporation funded by NBC they have no problem terminating freelancing saying, I don't care. So they, so they get these writers who cheer. Woo! They say, by making it hard for employers to misclassify employees as independent contractors, potentially millions of California workers who've been kept off payrolls will get basic labor rights for the first time. Boy, who could have seen this coming? I explain this all the time, right? I'll give you another example of how the left approaches lawmaking or they, they tend to. And I'm not saying the Republicans don't do this. Like, no, I've said that all the time because no matter what, I'm like, hey, look, the left did something bad. And they're like, you're saying the right did something good. No, I'm not. But I will tell you this. In the, in the UK, they pass a law. You got to have, you know, anybody of any gender identity can use whatever facility they want. The assumption from the leftists is, you know, you have two beautiful bathrooms, men and women, and people just go whichever one they think is appropriate. In reality, many changing rooms and shower rooms, pools just said, we'll just make it all unisex. And guess what happened? Assaults went up. This is a, it was Financial Times. I, be, I believe it actually may have been the Telegraph reporting that their data tracking showed that assaults had gone up by a decent percentage because now you had cis hetero men and women together. And, and guess what? Yeah, it will increase the likelihood. I mean, simple arithmetic. They didn't think that was gonna be the case. They thought they would have this utopian, hey, we'll pass this law and then everyone can use whatever bathroom. No. Because the businesses just say, why deal with that? Just make one bathroom. And there you go. Now, in the US, a lot of what people are doing is, you know, just single-use rooms. I don't want to get into the whole bathroom debate thing. But um, it's a good example in a long line of policies enacted by the left where they're like, look, look what Vox literally writes. Now people are going to get basic labor rights. And then bam, three months later, Vox media to cut hundreds of jobs. Wow. This California law nuked lefty journalism from orbit. Okay, you gotta understand this. Many of these woke leftists live in California. Not all of them, a lot of them. And now they can't work anymore. So, what's gonna happen to all of these news outlets? I mean, they're in New York too. So, they're gonna move maybe, or they're out. They're out of work. CNBC reports hundreds of freelancer, freelance writers at Vox Media. Primarily, those covering sports for SB Nation will lose their jobs in the coming months as the company prepares for a California law to go into effect that will force companies to reclassify contractors in the state as employees. This is a bittersweet note of thanks to our California independent contractors. John Ness, executive director of SB Nation, wrote in a post on Monday. In 2020, we will move California's team, California's team blogs from our established system with hundreds of contractors to a new one run by a team of new SB Nation employees. You know what they literally said? We need these jobs filled. If you're in California, you're fired. We're going to rehire, because the jobs aren't going anywhere, other people. Think about that for a second. This is not a case of being told your company can't support you. I'm sorry, we have to let you go. It's not a case of Vox going out of business. It's literally Vox saying, you guys passed the law. I got to fire you. But this dude over here in Arizona, he's all good. He's hired. He gets your job now. California is, as many, many people have said, California is a failed state for a lot of reasons. I tell you what, this is one of them. I know where these policies lead. The left doesn't know when to stop. That's the biggest problem I have with the left. Oh, it's not, but it's one of them. They never never settle. It's never good enough. The minimum wage always has to be higher and higher and higher. Now I get it. In many ways, a minimum wage makes sense. Yes, it does. Like when you have a local economy increase the base rate, and now they can afford uh, imports from other countries and other regions because the base right there didn't change. It's complicated. It's always complicated. That's, that's, that's apparently my new, my new catchphrase. But I say that because a lot of people will assume I'm trying to make a black and white statement. No, I'm saying generally, right? What you end up with on the left is like Rashida Tlaib. We want $15 an hour. And then once they won, she goes, $20 an hour. It's like, OK, it's just never going to stop. At a certain point, there should be a tax rate that's enough. At a certain point, there should be a revenue stream that's enough. At a certain point, there should be government programs that are enough. And I understand inflation, so we can tack inflation into these expanding programs. But the problem with the left, the right doesn't have, is that they win something and then immediately demand more, 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 more. It never ends. And you get this. They couldn't be happy with those jobs. So they pass more laws and more laws and more regulations. And it gets worse and worse and worse. I'll give you another example of what, I, what, what my problem with the left. See, I stop, just center left on the political compass. You know why I don't go any further? Because I recognize, hey, we found, a, we found a nice little happy spot, right? The way I see it with these government programs, they say, oh, we've got homeless people. Let's create a program for the homeless. Yes, I agree. I actually work for some nonprofits helping homeless people. No problem. But they don't stop there. They, they, when, the, when the program encounters problems and becomes bloated and needs to be cleaned up, restarted, they say, just do more. The way I've always explained it is, you know, uh, Los Angeles has a wound. That wound is the homeless crisis. They put a Band-Aid on that wound. That's fine, okay? A Band-Aid is there to help the healing process. But California then just leaves the band on and says, we did it, everybody. And the, w- and the wound festers because the bandage gets dirty and grimy. So you know what California does? Slap another Band-Aid right on top. We got a festering wound? Put a bigger Band-Aid on it. And they keep dumping money because they don't understand they're going too far. You need to stop. You need to reassess. The pendulum's got to swing back. You got to clean house and then restart these programs or or clean them up. Fix the corruption. Fix the bloat. Fix the buildings. Reassess. Are you still helping people? You look at Ocasio-Cortez and she says, I want to be the party of the Green New Deal. Well, hold on. She She wants to be the party of, you know, Eisenhower, the New Deal, whatever. Or is that FDR? Sorry. And uh, one of them, man, I'm I'm terrible. I'm going to get flagged for that. But she wants to be the party of the New Deal. And she wants to bring back the New Deal, with the Green New Deal. Dude, that was a solution to a problem over 100 years or about 100 years ago. How does that make sense? Andrew Yang is smart. He looks at this and he says, minimum wage isn't going to solve this problem. Thank you, sir. He's actually progressive. You look at the progressives and they're like, Let's use regressive laws from a century ago to try and solve this problem. How does that make sense? It doesn't. Do you know why there's a flourishing flourishing freelance gig economy? Because of the internet. Because this is how a libertarian market system works. People choose to sell their labor, supply, and demand. So California says, we got to stop all this. We can't have this supply and demand stuff negatively impacting, or I'm sorry, positively impacting our, our, our state, bringing in money from other places. Check this out. The writers in California, they're getting paid by New York-based companies, by Atlanta-based companies. That was money from Atlanta being sent to California and spent in the local economy. They said, let's nuke that from orbit and get rid of it. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you this. Conservatives, pounce. I love that one. Whenever something crazy happens and the left screws up, they always write that conservatives pounce. That's the joke. Blaze picks up the story. Vox Media fires hundreds of freelance writers over California gig economy law, and they're tweeting angrily about it. You know, there are a lot of lefty Vox types, progressives that are for these laws and cheered for them until they realized it meant the end of their careers. And you reap what you sow. But there are some people who write travel blogs, ghostwriting people like this, this Andy woman who have nothing to do with the politics of this insanity. Now she very well may be a progressive. I have no idea. The point is she says she just a text broker blogs, articles, travel stuff, landing pages. That's the majority of what this writing stuff is. The majority of the freelance work, it could be like translating transcribing. It's going to be an article like, have you ever wondered what a souffle in Sydney, Australia tastes like? Come check it out. Really simple stuff. apolitical. That's the majority of it. And we're talking about SB Nation. I uh, whatever, I don't know if it's woke or whatever. I don't care. The point is, not everybody being hit by this is the person who caused it. But the people who caused it cheered it on. Vox cheered for this. Don't forget it. They said it was a progressive win. I want you all to remember that the people who are claiming to be progressives are regressive. They're claiming it's a progressive victory to destroy jobs. Are you insane? But I'll tell you what, man. I've been to Venezuela. I've seen what it's like. When you have the government step in to mandate jobs, it took me like two or three hours to buy a cell phone because they have to create jobs by force. So when a free, so here's, here's what happened. This is, this is my understanding. This is what I was told by a local. What, here, here's what I can tell you what happened when I went to a cell phone store. I went to one person, filled out a form. Then I went to another person, handed them the form. Then I went to another person. Each individual tiny aspect of the phone had a job. It's the person to, to show you the catalog of phones. Then you bring your slip to the person who goes to the back room to get the phone. Then you bring the phone to the salesman to talk about the plans. Then he gives you a slip with the plan you've chosen and you bring it to the, the, the plan activation man, who then turns on the, the who, who then activates the plan for your phone and then tells his buddy, to, tells you to wait while his buddy goes and, and does the SIM card for him. They, every minute step of the process, they mandated the creation of that job. And it made the process sluggish and slow, and it's, 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 it jams up the economy. It, make, it makes things take too long. People weren't facilitating trade. And this is what you get with these policies. You know, what's funny to me. I always try to explain to these socialists. They, they're liars, by the way, okay? Or they're really dumb. Under socialism, you have no right to freely trade your labor. And they lie to you. They say this, under capitalism, labor is exploited and you can't sell your labor. No, that's literally what capitalism is. Now, hold on. The biggest criticism they have with capitalism is that you can use money to make money. Yeah, too bad. That's called a trade resource. Now, I personally, am not a fan of people who get rich simply because they're rich. It's like that. There's, there's that joke. I can't, can't remember who said it. Maybe it was Chris Rock. So they were like, if you've got, a, if, you, if you're rich, the bank says thank you for being rich and gives you more money. And if you're poor, they charge you money for being poor. It's insane. I think so. But I also recognize it's the product of of a, of a trade medium existing. You see, even under a socialist system, you can hoard currency. So a lot of socialist systems do have some type of currency, be it a certificate or some kind of credit system. Just because it's socialist doesn't mean they don't use money to trade. It just means they tell you what you can or can't do for the most part. And a lot of like you you look at China and they use currency, right? You can still manipulate currency no matter what. So the only true socialist or communist system can't have money in it. And there and therein lies the big problem. Then no one can do anything. No one can trade. And you're literally getting rid of a tool. But I tell you what, in a free market system, you choose. I believe laissez-faire capitalism is not good because you will get exploitation to an extreme degree. Corruption and exploitation will exist under any system. How do we minimize that? It's called a mixed economy and it's called regulation. That's why I think the United States has done a pretty good job of it. And a lot of people are upset saying, I didn't vote for these taxes. It's not fair. Vote for the guy who's going to lower your taxes. And they did. Donald Trump, middle class tax cuts, tax cuts. Basically, everybody got a tax cut. Corporate tax cuts, profits are up. uh, You know, everything's up. Great. That's what you voted for. You get what you want. And it might change. People might say later they want more taxes. I don't know. The point is balance, a shift a little back and forth. Don't let one get carried away. California is a runaway state. There is no more balance to what they're doing. There's, you know, who, I can't remember who, who said this a famous philosopher or something about if you're in a room where everyone, ag- everyone agrees, you, you're, you'll be unable to actually see the problems and you need someone to push back and say, I disagree. And here's why. And challenge the, the main, you know, the, the, the official point perspective. This is the idea of diversity, not someone's skin color, but worldview. When people used to talk about diversity, it was supposed to be like, yeah, if a dude from India came here, he's going he's gonna to see things in a very different way. It's not about the race. It's about other parts of the world, different problems. But the left has conflated all of it to just mean like, you're a different color, therefore diversity. Actually, not I take that back. Now they're like, for some reason, if you're just not white, a group of all Indian people its called diverse or something. Or like, you, it was like with, with Black Panther, they called it a diverse cast when it was literally the opposite of diversity. It was like a predominantly black cast. And if you want to have a movie like Black like Panther, I'm totally fine, fine with that. That's like, you know, more priority. I don't, I don't care. But anyway, I don't want to get derailed. The point is, and actually I should, I should wrap this up. California has no diversity. They pretend to because it's superficial. It's all surface level. Their policies the, the, the way they view the world, it's all surface level. You got a mix of, you know, white, Asian, Latino, black, whatever, There diversity. And no one actually has real diversity of thought. What happens? The Democratic supermajority in most of these cities pass laws that result in rampant homelessness, drug problems, human waste all over the streets. There was a photo going viral of a guy taking a dump in a supermarket. I, I, I tell you what, man, I don't know how anybody would want to live in California except for the weather. I'll tell you, man, it's great to go chill on the beach. You never got to worry about rain, especially in the drought. You don't got to worry about the cold. Yeah, It gets a little hot, but, you know, San Diego's usually perfect. A little humid, though. At that. They get that fog rolling in in the mornings. Other than that, what does California have to offer other than it's a runaway political system that no one can challenge? Because they don't care. It's, 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 a, it's a, you know, when you have a shared culture and set of morals and community, You can trust the other person. This prevents corruption. People not wanting to slight each other. But over time, people, when the community breaks down, people have no problem exploiting the other person to get what they want. That's California. California is the epitome of a runaway, cultureless, wild west system where people started, you know, it's like originally California was very libertarian. But over time, people realize a path to power was government. And a path to power was crony capitalist processes where they could become, you know, the ivory tower elite sitting in their mansions up in the Hollywood Hills, dumping money on people who will, who will strengthen their, their ivory tower club. what California is, it's a runaway system. It's it's a system where everybody just wants to get rich. They want to take and take and take. And that's why, I mean, there, there you go. I'm gonna leave it there. This is a long video. California, they nuked these jobs from orbit. And you know what? to the people in California who keep voting for this, what are, what are you going to do? And you know what happens? They move out. They move to Texas. They move to Colorado and Arizona, and they vote for the same thing. So you know what? You reap what you sow, man. I'll see you all at 1 p.m. on this channel in the next video. Thanks for hanging out. California is a wasteland. It is the capital of hypocrisy, where progressive politicians preach progress, love, and compassion Meanwhile, wealth inequality soars, refugee camps emerge, people are left wanting, the power gets shut down. Now, I always want to preface these videos because I rag in California a lot, and for good, for good reason, I always want to preface these videos by saying not all of California is bad. There's lush greenery, there's great mountains, there's beautiful shores, but their urban centers seem to be in a state of decay, particularly as wealth inequality expands. What you're seeing here, I have a story from the New York Times I would like to comment on. Among the world's most dire places, this California homeless camp. I look at these photos. Let me tell you something. I've been to actual refugee camps and these photos shocked me. I've been to, to actual camps where refugees have tents, have, have, have water, you know, they, they have these portable things where you can get soap and water and wash your hands. They said, you you see those things at like festivals? I look at this and it's completely disgusting. And and you know what? I don't know if you saw the video I did earlier, but probably the perfect example, we'll we'll just jump real quick, because I did this video, Vox, to cut hundreds of freelance jobs out of changes in California gig economy laws. So I want to show you this story from the New York Times, and I want to contrast it with this earlier segment. How is it that these homeless camps are expanding? Well, let's take a look at some of the stories from people who ended up here. Now, you may think some of these people are just unwell, lazy, unwilling to work. Absolutely not the case. Well, actually, I'm sorry. Some of these people are for sure. But many of these people have fallen onto hard times. And where is the beautiful, progressive and wealthy California to come and help these individuals? Apparently nowhere to be found because the crisis has only been getting worse. I actually worked for a nonprofit on homeless issues. I think it's now eight or so years ago. And I look back at all this news. It's one of the reasons I care about it. Nothing's getting done. Nothing's getting solved. It's posturing and and Los Angeles and these other districts with democratic supermajorities can't seem to do anything. One of the stories here I wanted to highlight is about a woman. Now now first look at these photos. There's people living in old, you know, campers. I mean, I, that's actually really nice. Good good, you know, it's nice to have a camper, but these things are old and falling apart. People are living in old tents and it's it's crazy to me because they look very much like shanty towns and refugee camps. Take a look at this. Here's an image. It says encampments counted in a recent New York Times survey. This is Oakland. All of these little dots are homeless camps. How could this be? How could San Francisco? It's 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 the shining city on the hill, isn't it? where the progressives preach love and compassion and, and forgiveness and caring, and they want to make sure they protect all of the vulnerable, marginalized people on social media. Meanwhile, the people who preach their, their new secular religion from atop their ivory towers are surrounded by squalor, filth, homeless camps, and people they refuse to look at or help. Let me show you the perfect example. I, I, do want to, I, I do want you to see these photos because it's infuriating. There, there's a conservative activist you know, I, I, maybe it's not fair to call him that. I think his name is Scott Pressler. I've talked about him before, who has made a thing out of going and cleaning up dumps and helping people. And they've smeared him saying it's a publicity stunt. Good. That's my, that's that's what I always say. Good. I'm glad if, if, if he's doing it all for for PR to make conservatives look good, he's doing a good job of it because it's your state and you can't seem to get the job done. So if, 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 if conservatives can do a big PR stunt supporting Trump or whatever, by actually helping people, that's, that's, that's more negative on you than it is on them. So when you come out and say, he's just doing this for press, that makes you look bad. Because you could have gotten the good press by simply helping the people who live in your state. What really infuriated me is this story. Many in the camp, this is what the New York Times says, many in the camp fled natural disasters. Kim Hansen lost her home in Northern, Caroli- uh, Northern California sorry, to a wildfire in 2014. She later lost her job when the coffee shop she worked at burned down. And these are the kind of people you will find in some of these camps. And I want to tell you a story. When I was younger, I was in Chicago and I, I had some leftover food from a restaurant and there was an old homeless guy who was, who was chilling. And I saw him and I had this pizza. It was like, it was like I, I had like half a pizza. So I had like three or four slices left. And I said, I was like, hey man, you hungry? I got some pizza. I just you know, got out of the shop. I'm not gonna, I've got nowhere to put it. So, and he was like, oh yeah, man, for sure. And I handed it to him. And I and I asked him. I was like, "Hey, do you mind if I, if I talk to you for a minute?" And he was like, "Yeah, go for it." You know, and and so I asked him, "How did you become homeless? Uh, you're homeless, right?" And he's like, "I am." I was like, "How did that happen?" And it's a sad story. He told me, "I'll make it very simple because I've told this story before, but it's a very important story, especially when you see this." He used to work for I, I think I, I can't remember exactly where he worked for, and I want to be careful because I know it's it's been this was like 16 years ago, but he told me that he had a job. He had the job for like you know 15, 20 years or some really long time. But eventually, his the biz, the place where he worked, where he was like a qualified skilled labor, shut down. All of a sudden, he found himself without a paycheck, and he and he had some savings. He wasn't destitute. He's was a hard worker. But guess what? He was getting older. He was in his like sixties at that point. Most of his friends and family had moved on. Uh, he, he lost touch with some people because you know, you gotta, you gotta understand. This is back before this guy was was growing up before there was social media. He said his friends moved out. He lost touch started taking care of himself. But more importantly, as he got older, his friends and his family started passing away. His family was gone. A lot of his friends were gone. And it was just him. He had his friends from his work. But when the work shut down, they all kind of lost touch. He found himself with very little money because it was an abrupt you know, closure. And eventually he couldn't afford to pay, couldn't afford rent anymore. You see, this is a guy who's in his 60s who just lost his job, who has a very specific skill set. And now he's competing with younger blood, people who have adapted to a new, a new era, a new market. And through no fault of his own, this guy found himself struggling in the, in the modern labor market because he became obsolete. His company was gone. Sure enough, he eventually couldn't pay rent. He got evicted, St- bounced around some shelters, tried to stay on his feet, and eventually said, I just, I just can't do it. There's nothing, there was nothing he could do. So he ended up, before he knew it, there was no one to help him out. This is one of the stories that led me to be kind of a, a lefty. I was young. I was super left at the time. And I was like, that's BS. There's places they should help you out. They should get you on your feet. They should do job trains, all this stuff. And I thought, here's a guy who is of sound mind, who dedicated his whole life. He did everything right. He worked hard, you know, and, and, and just capitalism is, is, is imperfect. And this is why I am not a laissez-faire capitalist. I believe it is, it is deplorable that there are people who are hard workers, people with gumption and ambition, who through no fault of their own, through a change in the system, through a, a development in the economy, their skills become obsolete. So now they're, they're not deserving of, of resources in our society That is unfair. Now, some may argue he should have planned better for retirement, but it's not so simple when you're a low wage worker. You know, most people don't have savings. So I said to myself, if this guy didn't have the ability, right, he, he, he was never the, the guy who was going to become the boss, the CEO, but he was a hard worker and he was a good guy. It is It is, I find it detestable that he is now living in squalor, but he did everything the way he was. He was a loyal and good worker. Man, that bothered me. It bothered me a lot. I know there are a lot of people who exploit the system, but I take a look at this story and this one really, really, really got me angry. I don't, I don't know the full details behind this woman, Kim Hansen, you know, but I want to say on the surface, this, this really pisses me off. She lost her home due to a wildfire, not her fault. I don't know what the circumstances was. You you could maybe say, well, she should have planned better. Well, she's 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 living in an old trailer. And I think it is it is sad that due to a natural disaster and her coffee shop burning down, she finds herself in these circumstances. We have to be careful. She's now living. They say that she and her boyfriend live in a leaking 50 year old trailer with electrical wires protruding from the walls. Many of the RVs have been ravaged by rodents and the elements. This is the end of the road. Miss Hansen said, where else can we go? Yep. Now, there are programs to help people who are in these circumstances. I've worked for them. I respect them. But a lot of them are imperfect. When I see a, you know, when I see a story about these college-age you know progressive types who think they're owed all of these things and they do no work, they lived off loans, they lived off their parents, I am deeply offended by that. Still, as you know, I'm very much in favor of student loan forgiveness because I think sometimes the choices the correct a system might be... You might have to begrudgingly make the choice of like, these are awful people who want my money, but we need to break this this cycle of ridiculous debt, which is churning out communists and other nonsense. But I see that and I'm deeply offended. You don't want to work. You want to take from me. You want, you, you, you look at the factory that someone else put time and energy to build. All of the workers, whether, you know, whatever your opinion is about labor, somebody made a plan somebody worked hard, saved money. Somebody got a loan. They hired people. Everyone contributed to build a factory. Now you think you deserve that because you took feminist dance at a local college and you were, you were indoctrinated to the idea that people shouldn't be allowed to build, you know, a, 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 build a, a company and own property. Okay, whatever. Have those opinions. But I tell you this, you know who really deserves it? You know who really deserves our help? People who lose their homes to disasters. People in Houston, when those floods wiped out people's homes and everything they knew and loved was gone. Those are the people that need help. This is why I'm very much in favor of like center left-wing policy. The problem I have are these wealthy progressive elites with their ridiculous religion who think they're owed everything. No, I've seen true hardship. I've seen people who through no fault of their own have found themselves living in squalor. And those are the people I want to help. I want to say, let me teach you to fish so that we can set you on a path towards prosperity, prosperity and we can lift you up out of poverty. Then you get these other people who don't do work, who say, if we all had socialism, we would work much less. Think about that. This is what the socialists push. They say, in a socialist utopia, you would only work 15 hours a week. Okay, well, first of all, I like working. I like working all the time. I like working every day. I like being productive. I like doing things. I like building with my hands. I like playing video games. I don't like being sedentary. I don't know what you think the future would be, but you're somebody who's advocating for society where you think you'd sit around doing nothing. I find that detestable. But I look to other people who maybe are also a bit lazy, maybe not, not nearly as, as driven as I am, and that's okay. If you are somebody who's willing to do the bare minimum to just have a nice place to live, provide for yourself, your family, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with that. And if you fall into hard times, I will be there to help you. When I see somebody who loses their home to a natural disaster, that's the first person I want to I want to help. Now you are doing everything right. Maybe maybe you didn't plan as as well as some other people did. I'm sorry, but you know what? I'm going to help you out. Maybe you were unable to save up as much as other people have. Maybe other people were more fortunate. Maybe people are born with a silver spoon. Fine, whatever. The point is, if you're if, if you're a good person, if you if you're respectful, if you're a loyal neighbor, if you're there to help, if you're if you're minding your own business and something happens to you that puts you in this circumstance, I want to make sure you get help. But you know what? That's not California. That is not California. They are hypocrites. It's eight or so years ago, or maybe even nine at this point, where I was trying to to help solve this problem. And what's what's happened since then? It's, it's gotten worse. We can see the camps are exploding across all of these. You know, they're popping up everywhere. Human waste all over these cities. And what is San Francisco supposed to be? They're supposed, you know... They're supposed to be this progressive bastion. Instead, this is what we get. This is, I, I, know, I know I showed you this this morning, but it's the perfect example of the problem. They, 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 they do things to look good that destroys everything around them. You know who will not be hurt by this new law? So for those that aren't familiar, Vox Media is cutting hundreds of freelance jobs. There was one tweet I highlighted for a woman who does like blog posts and travel saying she's crying just before Christmas. She's losing her job. They're not helping these people. They're making the problem worse. They're cheering, saying Vox says a progressive victory while they burn the jobs down around them. You know what's going to happen to these people who don't have work anymore? They're not going to be able to pay their rent. Then they're going to end up in a homeless camp, and it's going to be your fault. So it's not just the natural disasters. It's these insane policies that are creating massive wealth disparities. Look at this from October. Income inequality is on the rise in California. In some counties, the disparities are extreme. Yeah, it's their laws that are doing it. I feel for these people losing their jobs, even the ones with crazy politics I don't like, through no fault of their own, to an extent, because the laws are different. Those are man-made. A lot of people are losing their jobs. They did nothing wrong. They wrote stories, sports, sometimes politics, maybe food, travel. A lot of this work in freelance writing is like transcriptions. The government decides you shouldn't be allowed to have a job. Gone. Guess what? You're going to make the homeless camps bigger. You've got a housing crisis. The prices are too expensive. I kid you not. I looked at San Francisco and you know what I see? I see Capital City from the Hunger Games. These wealthy hedonists drinking Ipecac to vomit so they can continue eating after the fact. I don't know if they'd actually work in real life. That's what they did in the film. They're surrounded by poverty and anguish and they do nothing while they gloat about how it's better this way. It's better that we're in charge. No. They need, a, they need, California needs an intervention of some kind. I don't know what the deal is, but I, I I, well, I, I will absolutely say, you know, there are people who do drugs. There are people who, you know, are addicts who are mentally ill and those people deserve help too, right? They absolutely do. And I got to admit within reason, because it's, it's a strain on the system. If we tried to just make everyone take care of literally everybody who couldn't take care of themselves, it becomes impossible to do. Most families start to take care of themselves. If we tax away the resources from low-income families and then try and use it for other low-income families it creates a never-ending cycle that just doesn't seem to work. So I understand the progressive tax system and why I believe it's beneficial in that people will keep more of their money if they're making less of it. That makes sense to me. But the problem with California is that you have a bunch of wealthy progressives who are virtue signaling. That's all it is. That law they passed AB5 banning freelance work, virtue signaling. It, it and you know what? It eats itself because now it's these leftist writers at Vox who are losing their jobs. So that's why I say to some extent, a lot of these people were cheering for it. Yay. haha. Ha. I wonder, it's funny. I highlighted in the, in the video earlier this morning, uh, the, the other video, which early this morning, where Vox said it was a progressive victory. I wonder if that writer was a staff writer or a freelancer. I wonder if that writer is going to lose their job and be like, maybe it wasn't a victory. Maybe people, people should be allowed to, you know, buy and sell or trade their labor as they see fit. Maybe California shouldn't intervene and destroy jobs. So I don't know, I don't know what, what their deal is. But, but I'll tell you this, at least the way it seems. Wealthy, progressives, you know, the, it, and, and, and that's it. These far leftists, they tend to be, you know, we, we've seen the data, right? Atlant, the Atlantic wrote about this. They tend to have college degrees, make $100,000 a year. They tend to be white. And they sit atop their, you know, 30th floor office in SF, San Francisco, looking down on all the feces-laden streets thinking they're better than everyone. They don't really care. They don't. Because if they did, they'd be down there in the streets doing real work. And so I'll throw it back to that Scott Pressler. Th- Scott, Scott, I think that's says your name, right? Scott Pressler. I, I'm getting your name wrong. I'm so sorry. But here's a guy who gets smeared for actually doing what they claim to be doing. And so I'll throw it one last point to PewDiePie. PewDiePie the other day said Twitter is people who get rewarded for saying things instead of doing things. We used to reward people who ran the fastest, who jumped the highest, who did the most work. Now it's just people who just say the most woke thing on Twitter. So here you have a dude who re- brings people together and says, I'm going to go do something. And the people on Twitter smear him for it. Kid you not. And so I'll, I'll leave it with this. You look bad when you posture from your, you know, your, your armchair atop your ivory tower, mocking the Trump supporters, cleaning up these these, these, you know, these dumps and trying to help poor areas. You look bad when you say he's just doing it for PR. You know why? Because you're just saying that for clicks. At least he actually did something. If both people, the leftists and the Trump supporter, are both just trying to get clicks, guess what? The dude actually did something. So this says a lot about what the left has become. Wealth inequality is rampant in California. Jobs are being terminated because of their insane you know, left-wing policies. And these homeless camps are popping up and some of these people have lost their homes to natural disasters and there is nothing for them. Where's all that tax money going? California is one of the highest tax places in the country. I think they have the highest state income tax. Where's all that money going? Oh, I'm sorry. They announced a bill where they're going to cover healthcare for non-citizens up to the age of 26. It is it is insane. This is the example of what America should not be. Okay, It is a nightmare state. It is an oligarchy. It is these, these massive companies pretending to care about you. Where they post their woke- hot take on Twitter, meanwhile, just 10 feet away, someone's taking a dump up against their wall. California is a, it's you know whatever man I know I know these problems exist in other places. I've dealt with this, I know Chicago has bad problems. I know New York does this too. these big cities they all have this, but California is supposed to be a progressive bastion. It's supposed to be the shining city on the hill, isn't it? It's supposed to be the place where they care about you, where they'll where they'll care for you, they'll do right by you, and they don't they shut off the power to avoid liability. Your house burns down. And then they say, have fun sleeping in a camp. And then what do they do? They show up and say, GTFO, kick you out. I can't stand it, man. You know, you know what my thing is? It's funny. I'm not, I'm not a conservative in any capacity. I'm actually, I'm, you know, in reality, like my, my, my political and economic philosophy, pretty far left. It really is. I'm, I'm a realist though. When it comes to actually implement, implementing policy, but my vision of a, of a, of a world is is post scarcity utopia. It's the world that I want. It is, in a sense, a, a relatively lefty. I mean, it's 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 center left, but the way I you know would like to see things is, I I I I am never am not a big fan of hierarchy, and that really is the easiest way to explain it. I like flatter systems. You know, it's a very more lefty worldview. I look at California and I see the progressives that are supposed to, and the Democrats, this is always what it's been about. The Democrats and these people in California are the ones who are supposed to be compassionate. And yet, what do they do? They leech, they lie, and they steal. Not all of them. But look at California. You are putting people in power who are bad people who are liars. And you know what really bothers me too? I can't stand the lie that the conservative pro lifers don't care about babies after they're born. It's a, it's a common talking point. It's like, dude, that's BS because I grew up, I, I, when, I went, when I was younger, I was, a, uh, I was Catholic up until I was like 10 or so, and then my family went to public schools. I've seen the charity that the churches have done. They're not perfect. A lot of them are bad, but they function like nonprofits that help the community in many ways. Again, not perfect. There's a reason why my family got angry and left. But it's, but you know, they, they, they try and accuse the right. Of, you know what? I made my point. You know, my point is exemplified by that dude who's cleaning things up. That's uh, Scott Pressler, I think his name is. He's cleaning things up and they, they, they attack him for it. They smear him for it. Okay, you know, you guys, you can go, you can go t- take a look down. at The people dumping in your streets. That's what you deserve. I'm done. I'm, I'm so, I'm, this, this stuff makes me so angry. Because I actually want to have like a nice hand holding, you know, everyone's smiling rainbow future where everyone's happy and, you, and it's utopia. But you look to California California is the place where they're supposed to be leading the charge towards utopia. And it is a nightmare dystopia like Capital City from The Hunger Games. I'm done. I'll see you all at 4 p.m. on the main channel, youtube.com slash TimCast. Thanks for hanging out. It seems even Adam Schiff isn't safe from protests erupting at his town halls. Now, for those that haven't been following the news, there has been a ton of protests popping up over the past several months when pro-Trump supporters, and to an extent, anti-Trump activists, have shown up at town halls where moderate Democrats are doing their thing, and they yell, impeach or don't. But a lot of these protests are about people saying, don't impeach Trump, you're a liar, etc. We saw that recently. We saw Alyssa Slotkin, she's a moderate from Michigan. People were yelling, there are people holding up signs saying, impeach Slotkin, but those are moderate districts. We understand why people would protest there. But Adam Schiff? He's in California. Isn't he's in, I, I, I thought he was in like a safe blue district. Yeah, people still shut up to protest, screaming liar, treason, don't impeach. Now, there's, there's, there's some other news we're going to talk about. And I'm going to go through these stories kind of as an update because, you know, I talk about impeachment all the time. Why not do one more? we got a few more stories. Check this out. Donald Trump campaign raised $10 million during the Democrats impeachment inquiry. Well, go figure. Who could have seen that coming? But let's figure out what exactly happened with Adam Schiff. The Daily Wire reports, during a Saturday town hall event featuring leading House Intelligent Committee Chairman Rep. Adam Schiff, who was helping to lead the impeachment effort, chaos erupted as protesters shouted liar and treason. At one point during the event, there's one guy who's yelling, you're a liar, you're going to go to jail. And someone like tries tapping him on the shoulder. It's like, don't touch me. Like things got heated. At one point during the event, Attendees attendees engaged in a physical scuffle over what appears to be a Trump 2020 banner. According to Fox News, Schiff was discussing the recognition of the Armenian genocide at the event hosted by the Armenian National Committee of America. Before reaching the stage, Rep. Schiff was booed when he started speaking about bipartisanship. Shouts of liar, you're going to jail, don't impeach, and treason echoed the venue. Let me tell you something. The Horowitz report came out. We know there was FISA abuse. Comey admitted to it, yet for some reason, when Devin Nunes came out last year saying, hey, look at this thing, it's almost two years now, they they mocked him, said, no, he's he's wrong. Adam Schiff lied, saying he had evidence about Trump's collusion and things like this. None of it was true. And now here we are, with evidence coming out, Schiff still persists. This is a guy who published private phone records of a journalist, private phone records of his chief rival in the impeachment debate. Him talking about bipartisanship? I find that laughable. Apparently, the people in the crowd did too because they started screaming liar. You're going to jail and treason. You'll be going to jail for treason, one man yelled, according to Fox, adding, no disrespect to you all. I'm glad you guys are getting recognized for your, was it genocide? But this man is an effing liar. A second video posted to YouTube by protesters showed a scuffle over pro-Trump material during the utter chaos. A pro-Trump protester is heard reportedly saying, don't touch my wife. According to the LA Times, no one was injured. Schiff responded to the protesting in a statement to the Times. I was grateful for the opportunity to share in the community's celebration of the historic passage of the Armenian Genocide Resolution in both the House and Senate. And it's important to note, Trump, I believe Trump vetoed this. He rejected it, saying no. And I think the reason is he's got to deal with negotiating with Turkey and there's a bunch of problems. Ilhan Omar also said no on this one. I'm in favor of us recognizing, you know, but, but this, this, you know, I talked about this when it came to China and the Hong Kong resolution, because Trump is negotiating with his countries. He's going to try and maintain his leverage, which means this could jeopardize his negotiating, perhaps why many of the Democrats want to push these bills forward. Uh, however, it's, it's important to point out it, was a, it, has, it has broad bipartisan support. I would have liked to have seen Trump support this. But look, you guys know I'm not a fan of the guy. It is what it is. I'm not going to cry about it. They go on to talk about Schiff and California and whatever. I get it. Who, who likes Schiff? OK, like, you know, if, if you're someone who hates Trump, but this guy's weird. He's a, he's, a, he's a weird, creepy guy who lies. And I think that's fine. But here's here's the thing. We're going to move on from this, right? If Adam Schiff is going to see these protests, what do you think going to happen when a Democrat in a district Donald Trump won by 15 points says he will vote to impeach, leaving just a handful of possible defectors in tomorrow's full House vote? If Adam Schiff is going to face protests and other moderates have faced protests, I think it's, it's absolutely insane. You know, these Democrats have to know they're going to be voted out. The, I, I, you know, let, you know let, let, me, let me just say I was wrong in 2018 with the midterm stuff. It's entirely possible they win. I just don't see it. I really, really don't. This, is, this seems absurd to me. They, what was the point of getting elected in the first place? I kind of feel like the whole, the whole reason they got elected was just to go after Trump is that really their proposal for 2020? It's Trump or not Trump? I guess so. They say, upstate New York rep, Anthony Brindisi, who represents a a district Donald Trump won by 15 points, says he will vote to impeach the president. He revealed his decision in an interview with Syracuse.com in the final day before the expected House impeachment floor vote, saying he did so due to Trump's unconstitutional actions towards Ukraine. This is reckless abandon. It 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 is them saying, that they will sacrifice their House majority in a desperate plea to hurt Trump even a little bit. I'll tell you what, man, I'm kind of I'm kind of I'm so over talking about this. You know, I I repeatedly said before, like, I hate talking about impeachment. I'm so sick and tired of it. Trump has won. But you know what happens is I make a video called impeachment backfires then it backfires again. Then it gets worse and it keeps happening like every day. It just keeps getting worse. And you'd think at some point they'd realize their plan is failing. They don't. Trump raised, million, <laughs> Trump raised $10 million during the Democrats' impeachment inquiry. I'm not surprised. I don't even care. I, 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 don't, I don't even care. You know, normally I'd see this and go, wow, $10 million. That's a large sum of money. Now I still care. I'm like, yeah, yep. It's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen the day after tomorrow. It's going to keep happening. And I'm going to be sitting here stuck in this cycle created by Democrats where they're like, okay, you know what the definition of insanity is, right? The, the, the academic, like colloquial phrase they say it's trying something over and over again and expecting a different result one one good example is you see a fire you put your hand in it it burns and you put your hand in it again because you're like maybe something different will happen that's you know insanity the literal definition is like lacking sanity you know but people say it's trying the same thing over and over again expecting different results i therefore present to you the democrats trying the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. The ratings for the debates are down. Keep doing it. I mean, that I get. Tradition, right? The ratings for the impeachment hearings are down. Hey, so what? Keep doing it. They found no hard evidence. So what? Keep doing it. The polls are flipping against them. So what? Keep doing it. In November, over a month ago, the polls were flipping against Democrats, and they said, just keep doing it until something different happens. Now, I get it, right? In reality... You literally can keep hacking away at something until something happens. You know, let's say you're carving a statue or you're, you're, you're cutting out a tree. Yeah, you keep hacking away. Eventually, that tree falls down. Is that worth the thinking? Here's the difference. When you chop into a tree with that axe, you can see the damage you've done to the tree. And you can see, hey, two more and that tree's coming down. Imagine a lumberjack that was swinging at a tree, but every time he hit it, the tree got bigger. The, the stump got thicker. And he just kept going, saying, well, if I keep doing this, eventually that tree will fall. And it's like, I don't know how it's happening. It must be a magic ax, but that tree is growing. Trump raised $10 million. Do you know what he's going to do with that money? He's going to leverage that against your candidates. And it's going to work. Trump is one person. When Trump spends $10 million, it's for Trump. He doesn't say Bernie. He doesn't say Biden. He says Democrats. Trump uses all of that money for himself. When the Democrats raise $10 million, it's split among that entire field. And they got to go after each other. I, I, you know what, man? I feel like the Democrats must have some like 22-year-old college grad who never spent a day in the real world advising them. What should we do? You're young and hip. Uh, orange man bad. Impeach him. Well, impeachment failed. It's not working. And the polls are swinging for Trump's favor. Keep going. Just, just keep going. We can see the edge of that cliff. We're going to fall off. The polls are in Trump's favor. Just keep going for it. The Daily Wire reports the impeachment inquiry vote and subsequent Senate trial might be a headache for the Trump White House. No, I disagree, but at the very least, uh, but at least they've been a great. They've been great for fundraising for the president's reelection campaign, according to Trump 2020 uh, campaign manager Brad Parscale. The president's reelection campaign hauled in a staggering $10 million in just one week during the House Democrats' impeachment inquiry giving the president an incredible leg up on the dem- on Democrats competing to keep him from earning another term in the White House. So they're trying to stop Trump. His polls have improved. He's raising money. And I'm going to tell you something. They're going to vote tomorrow. and They're going to vote to do it. With all of this sitting in their face, they're going to be staring down, being like, Trump's raised like $30 million. The polls are now against us. We're underwater. Boy, this really backfired. Got it. Vote yes. They say par scale intent on drawing a comparison between the president and House Democrats listed the president's accomplishments during the same period. House Democrats were focused on impeachment. Included were the president's executive order combating anti-Semitism. And we get the point. I just had a conversation with some locals and they told me my retirement count is doing great. And that's it. And I was like, what about the way he talks? Like, I think he's I think he's, he's an a-hole, right? I think, I think he's a boorish guy. He insults people and He's not a very professional presenting individual, but you're right. Your 401k is up. How am I supposed to argue that to somebody? If I go to somebody, let me tell you this. What what, what would you do if there was a guy in the middle? There there were two people standing in the middle of the street. And one guy said, I got $100 for you right here. Horse face. Come over here so I can grab you, you horse face loser. You're a loser. Here's a hundred bucks. And the other guy was like, listen, I won't insult you, but you come over here, hang out with me. We're, we're, we're good people. Hopefully you'll make a hundred bucks. I don't know. People are going to be like, you can call me horse face all day and night. If you're going to give me a hundred bucks. And that's basically, that's a way to explain what's going on. I, ca- I see this person who says I'm up 30% this year. And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> so, so do you care that Trump is a nasty dude? Now nah, that you don't, you don't, it was funny. One, one lady was like, you know, She's like, yeah, I don't like you tweet, him tweeting that stuff, but, you know, re- we're getting raises. My, my salary's up. I'm like, hey, I can't blame you, man. I get it. I do. You know, when somebody's thinking about feeding their family, and now they're able to, and you tell them, but Trump is a bad guy, they're going to be like, I don't care. My kid's got food on, on, on his plate. And Trump can call me horse face if he's going to feed my kids. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. And I, 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 a fun addendum. I'll leave it there. I'm gonna end up talking about whatever. I'll see you guys in a few minutes in the next segment. Thanks for hanging out. If there is going to be a new second, a new civil war, or a second civil war, I believe Virginia is where it may happen. For those that are not history buffs, and I am not a history buff, my general understanding is that one of the great conflicts which precipitated the American fight for independence, the Revolutionary War was when Redcoats wanted to seize weapons from some militiamen. Well, now we can see what's happening in Virginia as they won, the Democrats won a majority, and now they're trying to enact a ton of laws, essentially gun confiscation. It's kind of complicated. Of course, it's complicated. I know I say it a lot, but it is. It's not so easy for me to just say, oh, the Democrats are going to do X, because then all of a sudden you're going to find some you know, lefty journalists are going to come out and say, ah, but technically, so yes, I try to preface this. Check out the story from Bearing Arms. Virginia now has 95 Second Amendment sanctuaries. And you know why this is happening? Well, I can't tell you definitively, but I can surmise. You see, Virginia went blue. And according to the New York Times, it's because of immigration and demographics. You have long-standing American communities that have traditions and like the Second Amendment. And then you have new communities and new individuals who don't have the same ties to American history and communities who don't care about the Constitution? As more and more people come from outside the U.S., they won't hold the same traditional or cultural views that the American, you know, founding fathers and forefathers had. Oh, that was patriarchal. American ancestors. There you go. What happens then is you have certain areas that, while the state went blue, there are some places that absolutely support the Second Amendment. I mean, Virginia is pretty. I, I'll, I'll, I'll say this in a funny way. They're pretty liberal. When it comes to uh, uh, gun issues, and, and and no, I know I'm, I'm talking about the straight definition. Like they're lax, you know. If uh, my understanding is, I could be wrong. When I lived in Virginia briefly, if you have Virginia ID, you can go buy a, you can go buy a gun. They're, they very much are. You know, you can carry around. I went to a one store and they said you can carry on a battle axe as long as everyone can see you carrying that battle axe. That's Virginia. Maybe the laws changed. I don't know. I don't live there anymore. It's been a long time, but I'm not surprised. A ton of districts are saying no dice. Check this out. Two more counties joined the ranks of Second Amendment sanctuaries in Virginia Monday night, bringing the total number of sanctuary communities to 95, with more votes to come on Tuesday. According to the Roanoke Times, almost 800 residents of Pulaski County in southwest Virginia packed the county supervisors meeting, which was moved to the local gymnasium to accommodate the crowd of Second Amendment supporters in attendance. They say board chairman Andy McCready essentially guaranteed the passage of a pro-Second Amendment resolution during that meeting, stating that the board just wanted to hear from constituents before drafting a document unique to Pulaski. Supervisor Joe Guthrie reinforced that point again Monday night. This is truly a Pulaski County resolution. It's a grassroots effort from the citizens, he said. Guthrie said the resolution drafted by County Administrator Jonathan Sweet was nearly perfect, save for the use of supportive over sanctuary in the initial draft. Sweet said he chose his wording carefully as to not lull citizens into a false sense of security. He said the resolution was mostly symbolic, but clauses like the county promising not to allocate county funds to help the prosecution of gun laws it deems unconstitutional gave the resolution some teeth. Additionally, the supervisors encouraged constitutional officers to follow its lead in resisting unconstitutional gun laws. Interestingly, I heard there was like some local deputy who said that he was going to deputize as many people as possible so they can keep weapons. I'll tell you this, though, the federal government or the state government comes tries to confiscate weapons. You are looking at history repeating itself. There is a strong tradition of gun ownership in this country. And as much as many people on the left might not like it, I'll tell you what. You want to walk into New York City, New York City, and start telling people to turn over their weapons. Guess what? You're going to find most people agree with you. They vote in that direction. Some people will say no. You want to go to a rural area in Virginia and start telling people to turn over their weapons, and they're going to say for my cold dead hands let me tell you something. I lived out in the Redlands in uh, outside Miami it was like 40 miles or so we had we didn't really have any local police near us and there were a string of home invasions people were scared so people took to defending themselves but I ask, I'll tell you this right so I I didn't own a weapon I, I mean I did I didn't own a a, a, fi- a firearm I owned an air I bought an air rifle because I, I honestly I don't have the training and you know I don't know Uh, I'm an urban liberal type, so while I understand why people wanted it, we had someone you know break into our yard. It wasn't really for me. Maybe in the future, right? But I'll tell you this: I've driven through Wyoming. I drove through Wyoming once, and I was running out of gas because we had driven like a couple hundred miles without seeing a gas station anywhere. Finally, my friend who was with me on this road trip points there, 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 gas pumps, and so I already drove past it. I stop and I look back. Sure enough. There was this house on the side of the road. had had two little gas pumps. And I was like, what what is this? I pull in, sure enough, it was a little convenience shop. They had some hot dogs and stuff. Gas pumps. And they were old school gas pumps. Okay? So I filled up and I'm like, hey, we're not going to run out of gas and freeze to death. But here's here's the point. When you live that far away from civilization, I asked him, I was like, where do people go when they need groceries? And he said, people drive 60 miles to come here to buy milk, eggs, bread, and, and fill up on gas. And they fill up extra tanks of gas to bring with them because this is Wyoming, man. We're in the middle of nowhere. Guess what? If you're in the middle of nowhere and you see, I don't know, a coyote or a villain, because guess what? People can be bad too. What do you do? You're out in the middle of nowhere. You're in your little car. You pull off on the side of the road. You know, you're going to change a tire. Who knows what? And all of a sudden you see this shambling dude lurking all about and he pulls out a knife. Nah, yeah. you're gonna call the police. Congratulations, they'll be there. They're 200 miles away. No, you're gonna pull back your coat. You're gonna show you're armed, and you're gonna say back away. Don't come near me. You're gonna put your hand on it. You're gonna you're gonna follow proper protocol and procedure, and proper training, and warn the individual to stand back and stay away because you're armed. Otherwise, you'll find yourself running down the street, hopping in your car, speeding off with one tire. I know that's a weird situation, but let's be honest. You live in a farm, hundreds of miles in the middle of nowhere. I understand why you want to have protection. So when, when, when they try and act state laws to take your weapon, they're not considering the fact these are urban liberals who don't know what it's like to live in the middle of nowhere. Here's what they write. I appreciate the thought the supervisors and the county administri- administrator put into their resolution and I'm pleased that supervisors ultimately voted unanimously to replace the supportive language with the word sanctuary instead. It's also a positive sign that the country, county supervisors encouraged the county sheriff and Commonwealth's attorney to use their power and discretion to not enforce any unconstitutional gun control laws approved by Governor Ralph Northam. Here's the problem. You're all sitting there on your hands. I'll, I'll tell you right now. You're saying, you know what? We're going to be sanctuaries for us. We're going we're to keep our weapons. But I'll tell you what's going to happen in 50 years. There won't be a single weapon in your state. And so what's going to happen? They're going to grandfather you in 100 years from now. No one will be armed. Now, now listen, That's, I, I, when, when it comes to urban environments, I understand why people don't want to be armed. I understand the arguments about people having a constitutional right to own weapons. And I understand the better argument, in my opinion, that when you live in the middle of nowhere, you got to protect yourself. Here's the thing. If you believe it is your right to own weapons and you want to pass that down to your kids and you believe it's important for protecting a free state, you've lost already. The fact that these sanctuaries are emerging is a defeat. Because I'll tell you what's going to happen in 100 years. No one will care. They will just stop the sale of weapons. Oh, you can keep yours. Oh, fine. We won't take yours away. But guess what? You will pass on. And eventually, your kids won't be able to purchase any of these things. It will just cease to exist in your state. Virginia, of all places. A lot of people have claimed that Virginia is going blue because federal workers from, from D.C. are moving there. But I think it was the New York Times that said it's immigration. It's people who don't care to be armed. People who come from other places, other countries are moving in, and they don't hold the same values as you. So maybe, maybe they'll be worse off for it. I'm not going to make the argument. You can argue for personal defense. I'm just telling you this. For, for one thing... I mean, look, birth rates are down across the board. Uh, it's true that conservatives have more kids than liberals. And while I do believe the future will be more conservative, there's a lot of things you will lose. So, so here's one point I made before. Immigrants are religious, and they're going to bring with them more conservative values than progressives will have. Pro- progressives are secular. OK, Latino migrants from Mexico, they're not. They're Christians, OK. That's a, that's a good win for conservatives, but they also don't have the same val- constitutional values that Americans have. So, yes, they will vote Democrat and they will vote to take away your rights in the long run. But things are going to shift very religious, and there will be a lot of conservative aspects that come back, like Christmas, for instance. So, it's really funny right now. Let's segue and I'll wrap this up. First, I think it's, it's really interesting these sanctuary districts are popping up, but it's a bad sign. It really is. The fact that it has to happen. But I'll tell you one thing. Uh, it was, I think it was Neil Gorsuch. Was it Gorsuch? Is that who it is? Some, uh, some Supreme Court just went on Fox News. And the first thing he said was, Merry Christmas. And uh, the woman said, Merry Christmas back. And the left lost their minds. But I'll tell you one thing. This is my warning to the left. If you keep saying we need more immigration and more power to you, like I'm, I'm, I'm you know, rather ambivalent. Like I understand if we have controlled immigration, it, it can be a good thing. Illegal immigration, not so much because you, know, you can't, you can't account properly. And then you know, economies can collapse. It's complicated. I know I can't, I can't summarize the entire argument in a second. So I will just say it's complicated. And yes, I'll tattoo it on my head. Calm down. But I'll tell you this, if you keep saying, bring in more immigrants, bring them all and open the door. Well, you realize they're all Christians, right? So all the people screeching that some guy said, Merry Christmas. Oh no, who cares? Yet you realize in like 30 years, happy holidays will be gone because, the people you're inviting into the country are overwhelmingly Christians. You know, (laughs) I don't think they get it, but it will change how, uh, so they're they're Christians, but they're not constitutional Americans. They don't look at free speech and these issues the same way. That's the real threat to our rights. People coming. So this is one of the biggest problems for immigration in general. Now on the whole, like I think regulated immigration is, is great. Literally everybody can come to the United States, all of them, every single person. Okay. If, it's legally done. And the reason I say that is because, let's be honest, they can't. We don't have enough room or money or resources. But when I say everyone is welcome, I don't care who you are, apply. And if we can work it out within our economic means, you're welcome here. But what happens when you bring in an influx? Actually, here's what, here's what I want you to do. You ever played the game Life Genesis? Go play that game. It's a very simple game, okay? Uh, you've got little colored dots. It's an old Windows game. And you can do different colors. There's like red and blue. Originally, it was just like, you know, an algorithm. But see what happens when you have a group of red dots and they fluctuate and they grow and they reproduce and then slowly start, you know, bringing in blue. If you bring in a little bit at a time, the red absorbs the blue, the blue turns red. But if you flood the red with too much blue, then the inverse happens. Big fish eats a little fish. If too much immigrant, immigration happens too quickly, then too many people who don't hold our values will start changing our laws and our values will be lost. I think it's fair to say that America has great values because we've been passing civil rights law nonstop for hundreds of years and improving these things. I would like to keep English common law and expand upon protecting civil rights. It also means we need to make sure that when we control for immigration, we're doing so in a way that we don't lose our values. And I'm not not talking about the really awful past values. I'm not talking about trad wife or any of that trad stuff. I'm, I'm just simply saying you need to make sure you keep the good and get rid of the bad. But if someone comes in who doesn't care for either, you will lose both. So you can argue, some people might say, it's better to lose both than to keep the bad. I disagree. I think we've done a really, really good job over the past couple hundred years of getting rid of the bad and keeping the good. I'll leave it there. You get the point, right? I think we need regulated immigration. And I I welcome immigrants to the maximum capacity we can bring them in. Trump has reduced it beyond what I think is reasonable. But hey, you know what? Trump won. He's the president. We'll see what happens come 2020, 2024. It's not the end of the world. Y'all need to calm down. I'll see you all. I got one more segment coming up in a few minutes. Stick around. I will see you shortly. The other day, Barack Obama said that women are indisputably better leaders than men. My first response is, Barack Obama, define what you mean by better. Are they better in the sense that they look better? Are they better speakers? Are they better strategically? Are they better, I don't know, orators, negotiators? What exactly does it mean? Do you mean generally better? Let me, let me read you from what uh, Obama said, and then I'm going to debunk Obama's statement and say, in my opinion— Women are worse leaders. Uh oh, shocked the feminists are. I can already hear the screeches from miles away of people angry that I would dare say such a, such a thing. But I'm going to show you some evidence, in my personal opinion, why I believe, for the most part, it seems like men have been better leaders. And I mean this objectively. Well, it is subjective. Listen, let me just cut to the chase. I'm very, very anti war. Women are more likely to wage war. That's a fact. At least they claim it is. We'll see. We'll see. I don't want to bury the lead. Former President Barack Obama said Monday that he believes living standards and economic outcomes would improve if women led every country in the world. Okay, improve for who, though? Because I got to admit, when someone wins a war, things do improve for them. The big picture. Speaking at a private leadership event in Singapore, Obama said he currently does not plan on getting back into political leadership because he believes in leaders stepping aside. Quote, if you look at the world and look at the problems... It's usually old people, usually old men, not getting out of the way. What he's saying, quote, now, women, I just want you to know you're you're not perfect. But what I can say pretty indisputably is that you're better than us. I'm absolutely confident that for two years, if every nation on earth was run by women, you would see a significant improvement across the board on just about everything, living standards and outcomes. Now, here's the thing. You see, many conservatives immediately said that's unfair the true you know, quality of a leader is their, is their person and not their gender. But I'll tell you this, the evidence suggests that if we take a look at historical averages, women are more likely to wage war, or queens were more likely to wage war than kings. So yes, I am being a bit facetious when I say men are, are better than women, okay? But what was Obama saying? What was he backing it up, backing it up by? No, I believe you, we can't predict what would happen if we just made every leader on the planet, uh, uh, like every leader on the planet was a woman. You don't know what's going to happen. And it's silly to think that war or not war would happen or whatever. He says, it is important for political leaders to try and remind themselves that you are there to do a job, but you are not there for life. You are not there in order to prop up your own sense of self-importance or your own power. Well, take your own advice, dude. You blew up a bunch of kids. I'll tell you what, I'd I'd take any woman over Obama again. I'll tell you that. And you know, I got to be honest, my favorability towards Obama went down dramatically because one of my principal issues is the foreign policy and the war and stuff like that, right? So right now, this may be shocking to many of you, but when it comes to foreign policy, Trump has been better. Now, look, Trump, Trump is engaged in, in commando raids. America, a little American girl was killed in Yemen. That was Trump. Trump, Trump. Trump is overseeing this stuff. He takes responsibility. We've had drone strikes. They've been ramped up. There's a lot of problems. But Trump is actually withdrawing troops from Afghanistan, from Afghanistan, from Syria. He's had meetings with Kim Jong un. He's done the things I've been like, hey, that's better. He's talked about putting troops in Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, there was a recent report he said was fake news. We'll see what happens. I'm not saying he's the best. I'm not saying Obama's the worst. I'm saying Trump's earned a little bit more brownie points over Obama at this point. Obama has a legacy of disaster and chaos beneath his belt. But let me show you something. Throughout history, queens were more likely to wage war than kings. Heavens, quartz. What is this bigoted? patriarchal garbage. This must be a lie. I refuse to believe the noble woman would do such a thing. During a meeting of her war council in June 1482, as she plotted the siege of a town in Granada, Queen Isabella went into labor. After a brutal 36 hours, only one of the twins she bore lived. And days later, her troops returned bloodied and defeated. But the 31-year-old queen proved as tenacious in war as in labor. In less than a decade, Isabella had taken Granada from the Moors, unifying Spain and launching the rise of history's first global superpower. Sounds like, I don't know, her and Hillary Clinton might have gotten along. See, Hillary Clinton was the one who was told that there's a no-fly zone over Syria. That would be a declaration of war on Russia. And she said, I don't care. She's the one who reportedly said, and this is disputed, when talking about Julian Assange, can't we just drone the guy? There's a reason why she didn't win, because Trump was saying war is bad. It doesn't, it doesn't mean that, you know, look, I got to be honest, Trump campaigned a lot on ending foreign intervention in foreign wars, and that is a very populist position. And then he's only done some of these things. He fired 59 Tomahawk missiles at Syria. He, he's, you know— um, We've got the Saudi Arabia thing. He's talking about selling weapons and putting troops in there. But he did call off the attack in Iran. He is announced that they're, apparently they're going to announce a, a troop withdrawal from Afghanistan. Hey, man, I like these things. OK, so Trump's not perfect. But at this point, you know what? When it comes to foreign policy, he's doing better than Obama. He's got the economy on his side, too. Man, it's, it's such a shame that he's just kind of a boorish old <laughs> such a nasty dude. Like he called that lady horse face. You know, it's funny. Like, I, I, I laugh, but dude, I don't want a president who does that. And that's, that's the thing, man. You know, there's a lot of women, like, that's why I like Tulsi so much. You know, she's very, very anti-war. She's better than Trump. Well, you know, I can't say that because Trump campaigned on a lot of these things too. And then when he got in office, he's been a little wishy-washy, but he's done better than Obama in a lot of ways. He's still carried out these, these strikes, these drone strikes. He's ramped up some of it. So I'm, I'm saying it's, he's getting a marginal. He's getting like a fraction of a point on this one. I like Tulsi. Yeah, I'd take her over Trump any day. But Trump deserves credit for a lot of things. I can't, I can't argue. You know what I mean? Like when I, when, I, when, I, when I see a Trump supporter and they're like, why is Trump bad? I'm like, look, I can tell you all the reasons. I know you won't care because it's the economy, stupid. I get it. It's like, yeah, I'm probably not going to vote. I got to be honest. I'm, I'm probably not going to vote in 2020. I don't, I, I, I don't hate Trump. I don't care about Trump. Um, I dislike him, but he's doing some things that are good. And when it comes to foreign policy, it's a little bit better there. But, but, but anyway, the point is Obama sits up there. And, and let, me, let me make this point. When Obama says he's confident a woman getting an office would be better than him, yeah, it's because he's a bloodthirsty warmonger. Any, literally any woman would be better than Obama. Well, actually, that's not true. Hillary Clinton would have been way worse. Here's what they say. Nowadays, Isabella is less known for her conquests than for having paid Christopher Columbus to sail the oceans. Maybe because we don't often think of Queens as warmongers. You want to rag on Christopher Columbus for, you know, genocide and, and all that stuff? Yeah, who financed it? He was working for somebody, dude. It was a lady. It was Queen Isabella. Okay, Obama, you want to be on the left and talk about women being better leaders? Let's talk about what happened to the Native Americans when the conquistadors showed up, started chopping off hands. That was a lady. People were working for her. They say apparently they were. In fact, between 1480 and 1913, Europe's queens were 27% more likely than its kings to wage war, according to a National Bureau of Economics working paper. And like Isabella, queens were also more likely to amass new territory during their reigns. Found the paper's authors, economi- uh, economists, Owen Drilla, Dubé, and S.P. Harris. So you know what? If you're a conquistador, if you're somebody who wants conquest and world domination, man, vote for the ladies. Maybe that's what Obama meant. Everyone, everyone's lives would improve because they would seize territory and conquer the world. And those subjects of theirs would prosper in the wake of destruction left behind by the wars that, you know, blow up kids. They say a lot of it comes down to the queenly management style and how radically it differed from that of kings. The first clue comes from the fact that of all European sovereigns, married queens were the most, I can't pronounce this word, sorry, bellicose, launching more, more wars than unmarried queens and kings of all types. This may be because, thanks to gender norms, women rulers tended to benefit more from marriage alliances than kings. Married queens were likelier than kings to wage war alongside allies, often their spouses' nations. And queens frequently roped their husbands into helping rule, something that kings hardly ever do with their wives. Gender norms of the day edged even queens as powerful as Isabella out of the military sphere. Though she planned military campaigns and sometimes rallied her troops decked out in armor, it was Ferdinand who led them into battle. Since male royalty tended to hold positions in their home militaries and had experience with state affairs, a queen often gained a husband and a trusted supporter to lead her most important institution. This sharing of duties sometimes made a queendom run more effectively. And also, think about it this way. You got a queen, you know, you're, you're, you're a king who married this queen, and she's nagging you. Why won't you go to war with France? These French you got to go to war. And you're like, fine, I'll go to war with France. Jeez. I'm kidding, by the way. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in so much flack for that joke. I don't care. It's a joke. Everybody calm down. Stop being offended. This, this, I'm reading you an article. If you're offended by this, I don't have to tell you, man. OK, it's science. No, I'm kidding. It's history. In Europe, at least. So this is not proof of every society on the planet. Let me just clarify. I was being facetious when I said men were better. I was just pl- making a joke at Obama saying that women were better. It's not, it's not the case. And if you're a fan of war, you probably think women are better. It's subjective. I am not. Therefore, I'm worried about what this was. And that's why I didn't like Hillary Clinton. And that's why I'm one of the reasons I'm most critical of Trump. I don't like war. I don't like the idea of, you know what I know. let Let me tell you something. Let me write this up, okay? Play civilization. I play civilization. You want to know how I play civilization? I mind my own effing business. I secure my borders in the game. I work on science. I improve the lives of my people. And when somebody comes and gives me the business, I use my superior technology to put them down. But I mind my own business. I don't go invading other places. I don't win my conquest. I like science victories and culture. If you're not familiar with the game, basically, you start from, you know, I don't know, the Paleolithic era or something, and slowly start developing technology and growing and expanding your borders. And eventually, when the game starts, there's no borders. Eventually, you discover borders. Eventually, your borders are pressed up against somebody else. And I just put some troops on the the edge. And I say, you leave me alone. I leave you alone. I do my thing. It's where we are. I'm going to make the life better for my people. I don't like war. And if you come bring it to my doorstep, I will crush you. That's the way I think things should be run. Instead, the U.S. is like, we're not just going to protect ourselves. We're going to go blow up kids in a foreign country because it's easier than fighting them here. That's what they said about Ukraine. They said, Ukraine's fighting Russia there, so we don't got to fight them here. Well, you know what, man? It's one thing to have allies. It's another thing to be dumping our money in foreign countries because you're treating them like our borders. So I, I'm, I'm, uh, to an extent, I'm like, fine, foreign aid, right? I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. If you want to give Ukraine money for weapons, so we am going to find them. Okay, fine. What I don't like is when we send our soldiers somewhere to fight preemptively, and that causes blowback, makes conflict worse. And I'll tell you what, man, play civilization and see what happens when you send your soldiers into an enemy territory because you don't want to fight them later. They'll declare war on you. And then you have to deal with all that. I don't like that. So maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive, whatever. Obama, you're silly. I'll leave it there. Thanks for hanging out, everybody. I'll see you all tomorrow at 10 a.m. at youtube.com slash timcastnews and the podcast every day at 6.30 p.m. Thanks for hanging out.